the Reverend Jim Reynolds has phoned through. G'day, brother. G'day, mate. How you going? My favourite devil dodger. <laughs> the God botherer. Oh, I do my best. You do uh, do your very best. You do. Um, what are we talking about today, Jim? Well, originally I was going to talk about the pubs, but after your last caller, I was just sitting there thinking back to when I went to school, which was, you know, late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. For me to get, because I obviously was schooled in New South Wales, for me to pass out in year 10, one of the requirements was to have my bronze medallion. Ah, when did that yeah, stop life-saving, yeah. The, when did that stop? Did you grow up on the coast? Yeah, I did, yeah. Okay, yeah. Now, the bronze medallion, Thomas, uh, for those who don't know, um, it's attached to surf life-saving, and basically it's a fitness regime plus um, CPR and, and that sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's correct. You had to do, I think it was four laps of a 50-metre pool in a swimming crawl and then one lap in any stroke you could. And did you have to dive down and retrieve a brick? Yeah, we did. We had to do it fully closed with shoes on. A jumper. No, jeans and a a jumper and a coat. And you had to dive down to the deep end of the pool and Mm -hmm. bring to the surface a brick. Yes. Yep. yep, and if you if you didn't have that, you didn't get your year ten certificate. Oh no, Jesus! No, we didn't have it that strict. <laughs> really? Is that true? Yes, yes. Christ! Yes, I re- I remember a couple of kids from my year had to repeat because they, they couldn't pass the bronze medallion, and that was one of the requirements that you had to have your bronze medallion because. Wow. Uh, I was very lucky where my school was. You go across the road and you're at the beach, so maybe mm. that might have been. A reason, but oh, I thought geez. that. Look, I'd, I'd, you'd have you'd have to have one rule for one child, and and you can't have another rule for another child just because they live in a different spot. Are you sure you've got that right? That sounds really tough. Yeah, yeah. Because what wow. we what we we started off in year seven with swimming lessons, yes. and you worked your way through, and as long as you could do one lap of the pool, and they concentrated more on. You know, each year we had to do jump in the water with clothing on and, and show that you could do the the safety step going into the water yeah, yeah. And, and that kind of stuff. So I thought that schools up here still did that. I, I That's what I remember. Well, let's find out. Uh, tell me, is any of this ringing a bell with you? Gee, I think that's a really tough thing. You don't finish year 10 unless you get your bronze medallion. What if you, what if, were there many kids with a medical exemption? There might have been, but uh, in all honesty, my school was primarily a sports high school. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, most of us were, were fit. And How did you not excel in basketball? Uh, because I always had a busted uh, busted ankle or something like that when we had to play it. <laughs> Folks, uh, for those who don't know, the Reverend Jim Reynolds, I'm tipping 6'6". Six, six. Yep, 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, do you have any idea how I would have killed to have been your height when I was playing basketball? <laughs> God, six foot six. I, folks, I'm six foot and was always the shortest in my rep teams. Um, and six six, yeah, we had a six ten centre in high school. Yeah, well, I'm, I must confess when you've, it came to... You've met my mate Dave. Yep, yep. David Manuel, big, we call his, his nickname is Big Dog. We, we played rep basketball right through from under 12s through to under 18s. How tall do you reckon he is? Oh, probably about six foot two, six foot three. No, he's six four. Six four? Okay. Yeah. 
His brother, Paul, 6'10". Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So I must confess at my high school, we had a very mad AFL PE teacher. Oh. So I used to get shoved out <clears throat> to play AFL, mm. which is probably why I fitted in in Melbourne when I moved down there. <laughs> Do you know what? It's, it's, it, this is a sidetrack. This is a sidetrack. But you know what? One fanatical teacher can change the whole course of a school's success in a particular sport. And let me give you an example. Do you know where Blaney is in central west New South Wales? Uh, Vaguely, yeah. Okay, kind of between Bathurst and Cowra, okay? Mm -hmm. Anyway, many, many years ago, there was a teacher that came out from the United States, an exchange teacher, I believe. He was American and a basketballer and a fanatical basketballer and a very good player. And that particular group of kids that came under his guidance guidance that particular year, the, the little tiny town of Blaney were untouchable in the whole Lachlan Basketball Conference. And it was due to this one teacher who just had the connection and the kids all started playing basketball. And that little town of Blaney was untouchable. They were so strong. Same thing went for Lithgow many years ago, small town. And um, just so happened that in Lithgow, two bank tellers were transferred to the National Australia Bank. They were Mormons and they were basketballers. And next thing you know, the Lithgow tornadoes. Unbelievable. So there you go. Yep. It, it's amazing what passion can do for to inspire a lot of other people. It just takes one leader. One good teacher can make such a difference. One triple three five three. did you have a teacher that made a difference to you that you remember to today? Is there a teacher, either primary school or high school, that inspired you and you look back and you go, that's the teacher that made a difference with me? I'd love to hear those stories. One triple three five three. Jim, you wanted to talk about the alcohol tax. Well, I was wanting to talk about the country pubs because when I tuned yeah. in, I heard your caller who was uh, making the point. Yes, making the point about country pubs being a heart of a town. And the one thing that struck me was when he said he was an atheist. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb here as Reverend Jim and say this. Some people might be surprised, mm. but I believe a country town can do without a church. It can't do without a country pub. I'm speak. Sorry, I better say something before alarms go off. <laughs> I am speechless. This is the Reverend Jim Reynolds, the head of the Outreach Ministries Australia. And say that again. I believe country a country town can do without a church. If it loses its church, it will still survive. If it loses its pub, it will close down. Carry on. Because, as you quite rightly said, that song, Our Church, is so true with what it says. There's more truths told in a pub over a drink than you'll ever hear in a church confessional. And the pub looks after the community. Now, I've been in small country towns when there's been an emergency, be it a major car accident or something like that. Where's the first place everyone goes? Straight to the pub. The pub's there to look after the community. Yes, it does make a lot of money out of the community, but they do look after community and they give back far more than a church ever does. And to lose a country pub and these 
And let's call them what they really are. They're sin taxes, which were introduced by happy, clappy Pentecostals who want to control everyone. They are destroying country towns by putting this much pressure on the pubs. Wow. You've blown me away, Reverend Jim. <laughs> You're blowing well, me away. A pub, look, a pub in country Australia is more important than the church. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely, because you can survive without a church. Very easily survive without a church. But what that pub gives back to the community, a community will die without it. And, you know, these kind of sin taxes, which in my personal belief, should never have been introduced in the first place. I mean, when we look back to when they were introduced and even now when we look at the government, you were talking about lobbyists just before, there is a very high, happy, clappy Pentecostal element that basically wants to control everything and say, well, this is what the Bible says, so you must do it this way, and if you don't like it, you're evil. And they're now putting pressure on politicians, so we're now everyday Australians feeling the effects of it. I mean, let me, let me $15 just say, for a point. Yeah, it, it's, it's exorbitant. And I, I, I think that more and more people will be drinking lower alcohol probably at home and not going to the pubs and having a schooner. Let me just ask you this, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in here on the woke, the woke people that are going to jump on you, okay? So I'm just preempting yep. it because you're gonna, you, you can expect this. What about people who will say... The rise in alcohol tax is a good thing because it might lead more people to abstinence or it might lead more people not to drink and go out and get drunk and come home and bash their wives. Oh, what crap. I'm telling you, you, you're going to get that today. I'm telling you. (laughs) They can shout it from the rooftop if they want to, mate, because near my place where I'm at at the moment, so I'm in outback New South Wales near Dubbo at the moment, okay, visiting friends. I went past two places that do brew your own. They're nearly sold out of brew-your-own equipment and stuff like that. So people are going to keep drinking no matter what they do. And now we're going to have people who are brewing their own. They're not going to know the strength of it. And we all know what can go wrong when you do brew your own. You're opening up a can of worms that is going to make life worse. And if we keep it regulated where people can go to the pub, they know what they're getting. It's a controlled environment. We're now going outside of that controlled environment. So the woke people can sit back and watch the damage happen because you can see it now. There's not too many brewing shops that aren't running out of stock at the moment. Uh, As you know, I used to home brew. I used to brew straight into 20-litre post-mix kegs. I didn't do it in bottles. Bottles were a pain in the ass, And I did it for a long time, but I got sick of it. It's, It's fiddly. But you can measure your alcohol if you use a hydrometer. We can go down that another day, but a hydrometer measures the weight. You do it before you brew, then you do it when it's ready. You get a nap and you calculate the two figures and it tells you what the alcohol content is and you can tweak it. You can get very good at it. Anyway, I was very keen, very interested to hear you say that you relate to the country pub and the camaraderie that it encompasses and encourages to that song, Our Church. Mate, absolutely. Like there's more, there is more community in a country pub than there ever will be in most of the churches that I've seen. And, uh, you know, I guess the best way I can describe it, uh, I know you don't have much time, but have you seen the show on Stan Prosper? No. You should sit down and watch it. It's about a mega church and the happy, clappy Pentecostals. Mm. And, you know, there, there's one thing that I say about Pentecostals. There is another name for them, and it's hypocrites. 
They will tell you to do things because the Bible says so, but they will turn around and do the total opposite when no one's watching them. Well, I, I can tell you, um, some friends of mine and Nicky's were members of a Pentecostal church up the road. This huge auditorium had ATMs at every exit, uh, and, and, right? Um, they supported you while you were young, attractive, and fiscally healthy. As soon as you were down on your luck, lost your job, lost your money, they brushed you. Mm. And when I dropped my daughter up there because she had a school, uh, an excursion, there was a something going on on the grounds of this church, and I drove her there because um, the the preacher, his name on his parking space, parked there was a $200,000 black AMG Mercedes. We then found out later that year that he had just bought a $7.5 million house on the headland at Monavale. Yep. And every member of that church was told to tithe 10%. Yep. And <laughs> it goes straight in the pocket of the pastor. And, uh, you know, you never see any good works being done. And I don't know if I told you this, but when I was running the soup kitchen, out of all the churches I approached to help, mm. do you know which organization helped me the most and gave me more help than anyone else tenfold? Uh, Salvos? No. The Islamic Council of Victoria. Really? Yep. I called them up a couple of times absolutely desperate because we had no food or anything like that. I had six vans down at the down at the soup kitchen within about 20 minutes ready to help us. Wow. Reverend Jim, yep. you've knocked me off my stool uh, quite a few times over the last, what, eight years, nine years. Um, I'm off my stool again this morning. It's always good to talk to you. Thank you so much. No worries, mate. Look, you take care and we'll catch up soon. Can't wait. Um, hey, Jim. Yep. Mind your head. Will do. <laughs> See you, mate. And we raise our cup Even though he's gone But he still lives on Cause it's too late to tell you In the back of a hearse So I'm telling you now And this is our church May not be holy men For all that it's worth We're more brothers and friends And this is our church when we get together For better or worse, better or worse We all understand This is our church